Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I'm here with a wonderful guest who I've had the wonderful pleasure of learning from from afar, and she's been um, a wonderful help and support a lot of times through the back channel as I was thinking through this, getting ready for this episode. She's helped out on an AI website I've put together where she did uh, provided some video and some some thought prompts on just generative AI when all this stuff was was new. It's I guess it's still very new for lots of us. Um, she's got a lot of incredible resources and just a, a, a wealth of knowledge and insights because she lives and breathes so much of the, of the world of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, looking at artificial intelligence, but also through the lens of education and, you know, how do we start to make sense of all the things um, as it feels like it's moving really fast. So uh, I'm so excited to have you here on the show today. So before we start, could you introduce who you are, what you do, and what in the world you got going on. Sure. Um, hello, everyone. Um, I'm Nisha Talagala. Um, so um, I currently run an organization called AI Club. We are an education technology organization, and we focus on artificial intelligence literacy. So we actually started in 2019, uh, you know, because we believed that we will reach a point which we are apparently at <laughs> where you know everybody literally everybody is going to need to become ai literate you know and back when we started it was really only data scientists you know phd's in various esoteric topics that knew about this stuff but it was very clear it was already seeping into every technology every product every you know aspect of our daily life so we knew we'd get here so we kind of started and we started actually we educate everyone from 8 to 80 but we have really had a particular focus on K through 12 and there's been a bunch of reasons part of some of it is personal i have a daughter she was 9 when i started teaching her ai she's 14 now so i started teaching her long before ai club existed but one of the reasons is because we're all parents myself and my colleagues and we really understood how important it was we also knew it was possible for kids to learn this stuff you know that it was possible to explain it to them in a way that sparked their imagination so that's one of the reasons for our bulk of our learning into k12 but we also have expanded beyond that we train teachers we train professionals you know, pretty much anybody in any walk of life, you know, to understand this technology the way they need to for their lives and their, you know, businesses and their careers. So, so that's what we do. Um, my background is I'm a classic computer science engineering type. Uh, I was not in AI until about eight years ago, but I've always been fond of AI. I think I built my first AI when I was in high school, you know, a long time ago, long before all this software. <laughs> I literally built it from scratch using C, uh, the C programming language. I couldn't get it to run fast enough. So I actually borrowed a lab and got 10 computers running in parallel so that I could <laughs> run experiments because none, none of them were running fast enough for me to finish my project. So so I've done it the hard way. And, you know, it's kind of very nice to say that literally what I did back there, I could probably type one sentence into ChatGPT now and have it do everything that for me. So that's how far we've come. You know? uh, so anyway, so that's, that's who I am. Yeah, no, I love that. And, you know, just talk a little bit about as you're talking through your, your your journey, because I think what what I I love about you and your work, and there's there's lots of people, but like you've been doing this, you know, I guess we can call it the the pre chat GPT era, um, you know, and so I think that's um, 
I think this speaks volumes for a lot of this work because I know since ChatGPT, myself included, many people have, have have jumped into the pond trying to wrap their head around it and make sense of it and learn from it and figure out all the things because that is how we improve. But you know, you go back to to your your interest of literally doing it the uh, the old school way. What was it about computer science, just in general, that that created a spark for you that has helped navigate to where you are now? Because I always find that part fascinating, kind of the the origin story, so to speak. I mean, what was it that that led you in that field when you were a kid? Uh, all of a sudden, now you're you know you're, you're parallel running ten computers to to bring your ideas to life because that that takes initiative, it takes drive, it takes it takes an interest and inquiry. And so, what was that that you're like? This is this is a, a pathway or a field or a, of, of of an interest of mine. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I think, you know, I've always really liked problem solving. So I found computer science appealing because I saw it as a problem solver. Um, I think there are opportunities for kids now where the problems are possibly much larger, much more interesting than the problems we had the ability to solve when, you know, when I was growing up, you know, well, the problems that we were able to solve are much more contained. So to me, a problem would be like write a program to sort a million numbers and do it in the most effective way or the most creative way possible. And if I found that problem appealing, which I did, right, <laughs> that would drive my curiosity and so forth. Now, however, the problems could be much more interesting, which is find a way to detect glaucoma. Mm. That's an interesting problem, right? And I may yes. not, I may not, I don't have to be excited about coding. I may, you know, I don't have to be, I may be that maybe I have, I, I care about the impact of glaucoma. Maybe it's affected my family. Maybe I've just studied it. Maybe it's affected my community. I care about it. So I think the the problem-solving trend continues. But one of the things that is really wonderful, I think, personally about AI, particularly for K-12, is it has put so much more interesting problems in the ha- within reach of children. Mm. Like they can actually imagine ways to attack problems that we could never have comprehended, even being able to attack. We were forced into more structured thinner problems and therefore there were fewer of us who found those interesting now i can imagine that almost any problem any child finds interesting they can see a path in technology to solve so that i think is you know one of the things i think ai has really broadened computer science yeah we can help them make that connection we can see that computer science is not just that thing that the geeky kids do where strange problems that have no relationship to their lives get solved in strange ways if they can see that, then they can see that computer science is really super useful for everyone. I love that. And I know one of the things that I've been trying to find is we've got computer science legislation in our state and there's many states with it and trying to get it going K-12. And, you know, you want, you, you, you're trying to build a little bit of confidence and awareness for the educators, the adults in the schools, not just the classroom teachers, but, you know, coaches and admin um, you know, because if we can't have some of the leaders feeling good about it, it's really hard to kind of transfer that to to students. And one of the things I've been dabbling with, and it's not that it's complete, but as I do a lot with authentic learning and, and kind of project-based, and nine times out of 10, I always call it like a backward approach where like kids get really excited, just like you said about, about an issue. We have a project with NASA on the idea of survival. And these kids are like coming up with all these ideas, but they really then want to make their idea come to life. And then it's like, well, well, then you're going to, as a result, you're here. Here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to learn some coding. And it's amazing to me 
it's not a shock, but it's amazing to me. Like, I don't, I don't, I wish we could find better ways to harness some of this because they're just like, yeah, let's do it. Versus the opposite. If we would have had a class and I was like, Hey, today, everybody, we're going to write, you know, conditional loops and if then statements, um, because the curriculum says so I've seen kids do incredible work because they want to solve something that is of interest to them versus, you know, kind of like you said, being more contained so i'm just curious you know as, as you're as you're working with ages as you said 8 to 80 and you've got all sorts of different things that you're going through not that that's the the golden answer what have been some ways for you to that you've seen that has helped people and i'm framing that question with the mindset of we're getting ready to head back to school there's educators that have explored the stuff and learn it with it and figure it out we've got some that maybe have heard of it but haven't done anything with it and we have some that are completely clueless They've got other things on their plate and boom, they're going to be like, what in the world is this? So I'm just trying to help figure out, you know, that's my framework of like, how do we get people to start thinking about some of this stuff? Not that you have to change everything because AI is now more available, but really what you said, more that idea of how do we create some interest and inquiry, you know, to then realize these are tools that allow us to do real world work. Yeah, it's very good. So I think there are two principles that we follow and we follow them in slightly different ways. I'm going to answer the question in context of K through 12 because I think sure. it's more, um, you know, pertinent. But uh, I, there are two principles that I think we follow uh, or maybe three where, um, you know, and we follow them in slightly different ways at different grade levels, but the same. So the first principle is build one as quickly as possible. So when I teach classes or our curriculums are taught in classes, all students build their first AI in their first class. And by build, I don't mean use chat GPT. I mean, they literally train an AI from scratch using data that they can see. Mm. See the data and know, oh, that's the data. It has seven, 687 examples. This is what my AI is going to learn. And then they, and the, this whole exercise takes about 30 minutes, just so we're clear, you know, and it doesn't involve any coding. It involves a few button pushes. In 30 minutes, they have studied the data. They have built AI. They've talked to it. They know what they like and don't like about it. They've taught it more. They've seen its brain change. And what happens is that a few things happen immediately. The more, the first is the fear of this weird unknown because they've read articles saying that it's everything from God to Skynet, right? <laughs> and movies are simply not helpful in this because movies provide a very, uh, you know, sophisticated positive or negative view usually depending on what movie it is. So simply building one and seeing that, you know what, it's it's okay. It's not perfect. It is not, it's good. It's not great. I have a role apparently to play. <laughs> My judgment matters. And, with, and so one of the questions I always ask kids, no matter how old they are, is I'm like, okay, what do you think your role in this is? What do you mm. think your responsibility is in this? And, and I'm hoping to them to get to a point that they realize that they are responsible for the good behavior of the thing. That the thing is not natively good or bad. The thing is learning from you. Mm. You're their teacher. And as a teacher, you have a responsibility to make sure that your pupil learns well. So, so that's, I think, the first thing. Now, you can do this in, in a simpler ways for younger children. Like, for example, younger children who cannot appreciate the sophistication of, I don't know, pricing models or, you know, or climate, you will do something simple like, am I happy or sad? Right? Something that any child can relate to at any age. If they are middle school or high school, maybe you can study something more sophisticated, like, okay, let's predict the price of a car, right? Or let's predict the price of a pair of shoes. This could be of great interest to children. They're very, you know? interested in like, you know, fashionable clothing items and things like that. But you can find things, things that naturally speak to their interest and things like that. But at different grade levels, they can appreciate more depth 
of the problem. But simply building one, being able to explore it, understand its strengths and weaknesses, see their role, that's a very good thing. That breaks, uh, you know, and, and, and I think I found that maybe with teachers as well, just being able to interact with it, then they start thinking about, oh, I, I know how I can introduce this to my kids. I know what I want to say about it, right? I have opinions, I would like to share it with them. And so, so you want to kind of get to the point where the teacher isn't just teaching a curriculum, the teacher ha feels like, okay, these are the points I want to pass along to my children. And I, now I have an opinion on what I want to pass along to my children. So that's the first thing, build one as soon as possible, just get the fear out of the way, get the hype out of the way and come down to reality. The second is that my colleagues and I have actually built a tool that we built it specifically for teaching. And it has sort of like two components. So one of the things that I personally don't like about a lot of the tools that kids you you know, that are available for kids is their toy tools. Mm. They're super fun, but there's limits to what you can do and you fall off a cliff the moment you run out of those limits. You know, because they actually are toy tools. Professionals use like a whole other set of tools. So what we've done is we've actually built kind of like a friendly, kid-friendly front end to professional tools. So what happens is they get the kid-friendly experience, everything they can do in half an hour, but they can also peek under the hood. Mm. And if they peek under the hood, they start to see, okay, so the stuff that people are doing out there is that big. So like in middle school, for example, and definitely in high school, what I do is I show, they basically there's a button where they can press it and it says generate code. So it will literally generate Python code for their AI, not generic stuff, their AI, the actual one they're running. And I, I basically tell them, look, I know you don't know Python yet. I'm not expecting you to understand this code, but I want you to scroll it. You see that it's not that big. See that it's like a page and a half, right? <laughs> and then I just ask them, do you think that given enough time, you could understand how this works? Yeah, probably. And also just kind of getting them to the point where they see that this is, there is a light to the end of this tunnel. This is not some enormous monstrosity of code that they will never understand or some enormous monstrosity of math that they'll never understand. Like, okay, I've built it. I understand how it works. And apparently the code, okay, if it's a page and a half, I mean, okay, how, how long would it take me to learn that if I'm really focused, right? Right, right. So, so a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, and so that's the second one, which is show them under the cover, show them that it's tractable. The second, the third one, frankly, is we focus very much on custom projects. So at the end of every class, the kids build a custom project where, again, to this previous comment, we were tapping into their passion. That's it. Those are the really, I think we do them in different ways, but those are, I think, some of the three key things that we do. No, I love that. And I love that you're talking about build an AI model right away in that 30 minutes reminds me so much of when I do some STEM stuff and trying to get even just some teachers or teacher libraries comfortable with just basic tools for the first time that maybe they never have, you know, we're thinking about do some engineering or, you know, we can think back. No one really talks a whole lot about it, but like when makerspace was all those things. And I remember like it, it never ceased to fail the first time someone lights up their own led light. Cause they wired it, you know, it is oh. like, like they, there's an elation when you create something that works, you know, it's, it's almost probably not quite as high, but you know, if you were to win like Powerball that moment, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's just, I watch it happen. A little two cent led, it can completely change the wiring and the brain. Like it's just such a, a dopamine hit. And it's the same thing with, as you're talking, building that AI bot right away for them to realize like, Hey, you know, this is not some, like you said, crazy thing, whether in the news or in the movies or whatever it might be that kind of puts in that fear, you know? And so as, as you're talking through that and, and talking through your curriculum and your principles and your approach, you know, you've probably been asked this a million times, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested. And so you, you've been working on this 
you know, before the craze of chat GPT and then everything that's kind of just gone bananas um, since then, you know, and you've, you've had this stuff going and, and rocking and, and geez, you know, right through COVID and all that good stuff, you know, how has those principles further strengthen your belief in that approach with the onboarding in the world of chat GPT um, or, or how has some of that impacted? Because I feel like there's, you know, as you're talking, I'm like, man, like I know we have brought PD and stuff in for your work and in our state and um oh. and I've shared the resources and things of that nature. And then it's also like so there's the teachers that are gonna be teaching some of that. And then there's kind of like this other group of educators that necessarily aren't going to be teaching it, but they're going to be impacted by it. You know, and so have you seen an increase in that or 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 you know any thoughts yeah, think- or yeah, go ahead. I think we've honestly seen an increase in everything. Yeah. And I think there are teachers who are impacted by it. I think many of them also feel like if they have a better knowledge of it, they will be able to manage the impact. I mean, one way to manage the impact is to simply say, okay, there are rules in my school district and I will follow them. But my most teachers, you know, very correctly want to go beyond that, right? Right. They want to be a resource and advocate for their students. So they really want to understand it well enough to be able to encourage their kids where they can protect them help right. them wherever they can. And that requires a certain level of understanding. And some of that requires teaching the kids as well. So those two are not exactly the same, but they are definitely related. I don't think it's possible to keep them separate. Hmm. So I think one of the things that maybe has happened more is that prior to ChatGPT, you know, there was a steady increase in interest. You know, right. it was normal and steady. And then you know, like almost every teacher I talked to, no one would ever tell me it does not need to be done. They would either tell me, yes, I need to do it, but either I'm going to do it right now, I'm going to do it in six months, right? Yep. Now they are more communicating. It has apparently happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) I no longer have the choice of happening to it. (laughs) It has happened to me and now I just have to do something about it. So that shift occurred because of ChatGPT. So so I think and some of that is more about how do I deal with it as opposed to I did not make the choice to bring it into the classroom. It arrived without right. my permission and now I have to do something about it. So there are some practical things like, you know, how, you know, how to use the tools that are out there and things like that. And so one of the things is that we have a course on ChatGPT that is mostly to help educators. Um, and we're actually about to make it free. It's self-paced. Hmm. So I can let you know when, basically mostly just haven't gotten around to putting it free on the website, but it's a nice self-paced course. I'll let you know when we've made it generally accessible. Sure. And that's something that teachers can just go check it out. Hopefully they'll, you know, find the information helpful. It contains things like where did this stuff come from? It didn't actually show up out of nowhere. It's been steadily developing since 2017. And so, and you know, and where did it come from? What, how does it work? What, from what, knowing how it works, what can you understand about its behavior and how you need to interact with it? Stuff like mm. that. So, yeah. So I think both are there. Yeah. So, you know, with, with, with so much of the the huge spike of interest, you know, whether it's ChatGPT or any of the other tools or however people are coming into it, it's it's you know AI now has become part of the normal language conversation landscape um, for a lot of people who you know a a year ago never would have been thinking that they'd be using any of the acronyms or or terms, and so as as you have conversations with with your colleagues and things of that nature i'm 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 curious you know what are what are the new interest areas for for you and your colleagues as you know it it was i don't want to call it a, a niche area but i mean ai is not new it's been around for a long time just it always kind of worked behind the scenes and people didn't even know it was 
even happening, you know, and now I think something like ChatGPT kind of makes it like in front of your face. You can actually kind of see it do stuff as you put stuff in. You know, how does where where, where has that driven your sparks and curiosity as a learner and and being in this work for a long time? Um, you know, like where where do you go? Ooh, this is you know where was this back when I was you know combining my ten computers to have enough uh, juice to do my ideas? You know, where where does that take someone like you that that's you know you are in this world, you are in this space, and you've been in this space for quite some time. So I think the, so for me, I'm always, one of the things I actually love about, you know, sort of w- kind of working particularly with students and these custom projects is we get an opportunity with the students to explore all sorts of different problems and how AI can, you know, address them. And we also run a research institute for our more advanced students where they explore really solid research topics. So I think that, you know, definitely don't want to underestimate, you know, tools like ChatGPT in the way that they can make everyday tasks more productive. Right? So, so the strength of a tool like that is the number of things that it can make easier and the number of people that it can impact, right? So it's a very cool thing. But there are also a lot of other things that people, not a lot of people know about that are just so fundamental. So my personal, one of my personal interest areas right now is bioinformatics. So and AI use in things like bioinformatics and drug discovery. So the basically the idea fundamentally is if you think about it, right? Um, the human body is a machine. It's just a very, very, very complicated machine that runs on an enormous amount of data signals, right? Everything from the internal behavior of your cell to just about everything else is a data signal. The reason that we don't think of it that way is because we don't know how to program the machine. So far, the extent of our programming the human bodies, we've poked it in all sorts of ways. We've cataloged all of our reactions and our poking and reaction cataloging has become so sophisticated that that's what we call medicine. Mm. But what bioinformatics and the researchers who are using AI are fundamentally saying, can we take this thing apart and put it back together? In all sorts of interesting ways. And whether that comes from, can I create a molecule that can have a very specific reaction with a very specific cell in my body that can cause that cell to program itself a little differently, thereby improving its ability to attack a disease. (laughs) So one of the beauties of AI is that the massive data sets that are essentially the biology of the human body, it is able to essentially, you know, find the pattern. (laughs) The same way it might find patterns in language and hope you write a better email, it can find patterns in genetics, patterns in cell behavior, patterns in molecular interactions. And the number of things that the people are doing with that is just profound. You know, and just to kind of help you guys, uh, help you understand some of the concepts of this is, you know, there's a thing called protein folding. So what happens with protein folding is that a protein is not a two-dimensional entity. Like we're not two-dimensional, we're three-dimensional. So in the, so if you write something about a protein as a you know on paper it looks two dimensional it's a chemical but in the body it actually becomes a very specific three dimensional entity it folds and how it folds determines what's on the outside and what's on the inside and this is important because the things on the inside don't get to interact so how the protein folds has tells us a lot about exactly how it's going to hit the other things around it protein folding Five years ago, 10 years ago, was a problem that billions of dollars were spent on achieving accuracies of like 50%. Oh, wow. I can now download an open source notebook and run it in an hour and a half with an accuracy of over <laughs> 90%. It's crazy. That is what AI does. So those are the kinds of things that I think, you know, I think it would be really wonderful if, 
kids don't see it as Skynet or solution. They should not, by the way, they should understand there's real dangers. You know? Yes, not, right. They should understand there's real dangers, but they should also understand there's tremendous potential. And hopefully we can help kids get past the, I have figured out a way to cheat with ChatGPT to be the highlight of their ambition to, oh, look at all this cool stuff that's happening in science or in climate or, you know, how can yeah. I learn kind of thing. And that's what, you know, I, I think about when I've been supporting schools in computer science, it's been very much that angle of, you know, like, I feel like it's it's opened up the field for all the kids that would say, I'm not a computer scientist, or I'm not good at math, any of these, these phrases where we have defined ourselves before we even know who we are, but it happens, always trying to sit there and go, okay, so then how do we, how do I help hook those kids in by helping them find out what they are interested in and realizing that they can do that stuff. And then at the end be like, oh, and by the way, you were a computer scientist because you just did ABC, you know, and that is one of my fears is all these tools come out, it all gets caught up and not that they're good, bad or indifferent, but like, I, I want to further make sure kids have opportunities. I think about my own children, I, especially I'm thinking elementary, you know, before that kind of middle school age where kids do start to define who they are and who they aren't by I'm not good at math. I'm not good at this, you know? And so as you're talking about where your interests are and I'm thinking about curriculum, I'm thinking about all the teachers trying to have a way into this, you know, how, what are ideas or tips to, to help kids and maybe it's educators and adults too use their interest to to funnel to get into this work of ai where it's not just okay now we're going to chat gpt and yes it can do that work quick but actually no we're going to go in and you know we can we can have fun with the data we can have fun with pulling that we have fun creating these things and ai is more than you know a generative ai type tool there's lots of different ais that do lots of different things and i you know part of my fear is that like the momentum we have is going to get lost because now all the focus is going to be on like, should we use chat GPT versus like, let's learn the prop. What let's, let's continue to learn about AI and computer science. And then you can then have a better conversation. So I, I, you know, we're how any tips or ideas for that is, I mean, as you're working through building curriculum, you're running PD, I mean, you're, you're, you're doing these things. So, I mean, a few things, I think. Um, so we have helped teachers um, create like small lesson units that they can put into science class, into math class mm -hmm. and stuff like that. We don't do it very broadly in the sense that, you know, it depends a lot on what each teacher wants, but we've done, done it and we've created a lot of those. So if any teacher ever wants to, you know, they can just contact me. We can try to show, show them what, you know, if they want to say, okay, I'm in science. I just want the students to appreciate yeah. now what kinds of things exist in AI for science, who's doing it, maybe a little exercise that they can do, that they can see how easy it is, stuff like that. And so, so we actually do that with, you know, a lot of teachers. So that's one. We also run periodic wor um, webinars. Like we did a webinar on bioinformatics a little while ago, you know, and we do webinars on different topics. And so the, all the webinars are on our website. So that would be an easy way to just go look at the webinar. And if you just drop us a note, I'm sure we can get you whatever resources we shared with everybody at the webinar. The other thing is that uh, we run a um, research symposium every year. It was actually about two weeks ago. Mm. Um, it is basically an, uh, a small, like three-hour virtual conference where we have 10 students present their AI projects. 
And students present on like literally everything from this year. I think we had ballet, uh, hate speech, uh, <laughs> brain hemorrhages, you know, uh, oh, wow. basically mental health issues. So the point is that if you want kids to see what other, what other kids their age have done, hear it in their own words. They're 10 minute presentations, really easy to understand, but it shows you like what can be done. And then we've had teachers come in and say, oh, I really like that project. Can I create a simpler version of that in my classroom? Right. And stuff like that. And so some of it is just see what's possible. So if you go to our website and you go to the AI research symposiums, we've done it since, uh, well, it's we did our third one this year. So we, I'm guessing the first one was in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. I'm scrolling through it right now. It's it's incredible what, what what kids are doing. I mean, I think that's the beauty of something like this is, I mean, it shows that kids can do this, you know, um, and I always say, and that's a call then for us as the facilitators of the classroom. We don't have to know every single detail, but we need to be able to create the learning space and opportunities for kids to be able to go down these pathways. We don't have to know how to do all of it, but we can use no. our professional skills. We can still create a conductive learning that's classroom right. environment for kids to go, you know, I'm just looking through some of this. Yeah. Artificial intelligence assisted violin, violin performance learning and yeah. hydroponic lettuce. And yeah, I see the hate speech. I mean, these are the things that will get you excited as an educator. And I think that's something that's important too. Not the AI is like the answer to everything, but giving kids opportunities to use AI and learn how to put things together with their interests that that's what gets you excited. That's what, that's what gets you out of bed, you know, ready to go teach today is as we're, we're seeing a teacher burnout crisis and we're seeing people leave the field, you know? And like, these are the things that if I had kids talking, coming to school, talking about this, Holy cow, that's a fun day. Yeah, exactly. So I think, it, <laughs> I think it's also kind of what I, I, you know, one of the things that I've been most proud of is that we have found that, you know, I think, in the classes that we run, more than 35% are girls, but in the advanced projects, it's 50-50. Oh, wow. And part of, I so that is a fact. That is something we have found as a fact. My personal belief of why that is, is look at the variety of these projects. I mean, you don't have to like feel like you fit into one mold, right? You do right. what you like. Yeah. You know, and you do what you like and it applies. I love it. Yeah, because that's just something, I mean, I've, even just thinking of computer science in general and thinking through that, I'm like, you know, if you love sports, there's anything you'd ever be interested in in sports. Computer science is part of that. You're into music. Well, there's tons of parallel connections just in terms of how, how musicians' brains work and computer science in terms of thinking. I mean, there it's the overlap is is incredibly fascinating in and of itself. And they just they're just blown away. Like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or I remember even just something as simple. We had a, a, a gentleman from NASA speaking and he was just talking about the small percentage, for example, like an eye-opening moment for like, because kids don't know what they don't know, you know, that there's 100,000 plus employees at NASA, but only, you know, like 44 are actually astronauts, you know, and they're like, we need artists and we need storytellers and we need this. And the kids are like, so I, like, I could work for NASA? They're like, yeah. And then they're like, oh, because I don't want to go to space. Like, no, most of us never go to space. So it's just, you know, just... But why would you why would you think any different? Because when we think of NASA, that is what we think of. Um, and so I, I love these projects. I love what you guys have put together because I think it just again further helps students see that it is for them. It is possible. And it, you know, whatever your interests are, 
this could help create that yep. solution, whether it's a family issue or just something of general interest. And I think that is the, the the beauty to the work that you've been able to put together with you and your colleagues. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. You know, so as we wrap up and be respectful of, of your time here and, you know, as, as we are kind of ran the gamut here with lots of different things, are there any other ideas or, or thoughts or things that you want to make sure that you get a chance to to touch on and, and and speak about before we, we wrap up. And for those that listen to the podcast and they all know, I'll have links in the show notes to the website, the symposium. I mean, all the things that you've talked and referenced will all be linked in the show notes, but I want to make sure, um, you know, before people can re- learn where else to reach out and find you, you know, is there anything else that you want to make sure um, you get a chance to, to speak on We've covered a lot. I think the only thing I maybe the closing message might be, I mean, it is scary and it is a bit overwhelming, right? And and there is a lot of hype and I, you know, that definitely does not help the situation. You know, I, I would encourage people to jump in with something small, right? Start with something small, jump in because it is tractable. It is possible to get on top of this thing. It is possible to happen to it as opposed to it happening to you. Yes, I love that. That's all I want to say. So, <laughs> You know, just happen to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's more than, I mean, it's it's important for people personally. It's important as teachers. It's important for your children that you happen to it, if that makes sense, right? right and right. also important for humanity that every human says something because, you know, someone's going to make these decisions. That's right. That's right. And so you might as well have a voice in it because it's going to affect you. So... Yeah. And I, you know, I would even build upon that and say, I think this is our, our call as, as educators in the K-12 system is this is why we need to be teaching and exposing students to, I'm going to say computer science because it's not just AI. There's, there's lots to it, but I know we have talking AI, but I'll say computer science because what you just said is, is instrumental in this work to make sure that it's it's done well and to the best of its ability is we need to make sure everyone has a chance to be aware so that they can choose to sit at the table if they so choose. And for a long time, that table hasn't been open to everybody. And I think now we have um, a huge, I think a huge responsibility in the computer science world to engage kids in this type of problem solving and thinking and approaches um, because we do need <laughs> diversity at the table, especially as we get into the, you know, these AI tools. And um, you know, just like you said, we, we can be the driving force, whether it's used for, for good or bad, not that it's that drastic and dire, but you know, the more voices we have, the, the, the better off we're going to be. That's exactly right. And I think that's the main thing, that if we can help kids realize that their voice matters and there are no right answers right now. Right. Don't freak out if you don't know the answer. Nobody <laughs> else does. So just form an opinion and share it. That's right. Well, I love that this has been a wonderful conversation. I, I greatly appreciate you taking time to jump on my show and chat and talk about this. I think you've given... Uh, the listeners, a lot of good things to think about. And I think, you know, a lot of this is, you know, um, not, you know, kind of taking the bull by the horns and, and taking charge. And I think for, for a lot of us in these moments where we're not sure what it is or what this is or what that is or what we should do, we tend to sit back. And I think this is an opportunity for us to, to take a step forward, do some of our own learning, begin to explore Obviously, you've got a platform with AI Club to to get rocking and rolling and get started, you know, but if, if people want to reach out to learn more about you and your work and all that you do, you know, where are some of the best places for, for, for uh, folks to find you? 
So, I mean, you can always drop a note at the website. You know, there is an email there. You can drop a note there. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me there as well. So Perfect. Great solution. Well, I appreciate this. This has been um, a wonderful conversation. And uh, I can't thank you enough for taking time to chat. And I look forward to uh, people coming across your work, continue to explore your work and realizing, you know, we don't have to create all the stuff from scratch. There's there, there's platforms like AI Club already ready to rock and roll to get you started. And uh, and I think that, that that's another huge resource for people to check out as they're trying to figure out how to teach it, what to teach, what to do. You guys have been doing this um, for quite some time and you've got the experience. And so if nothing else, it's also good just to help build some exposure for the work that you've already been doing, uh, you know, pre-chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. It yes, was thank you. I really enjoyed it. Yes, thank you. All right. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.